when my children were very little, my mom thought it would be a great idea to get them Hallmark keepsake ornaments. Uh, she had no idea how many children we were going to have or how much that was going to add up to. But those first couple years, that was a cute idea. And she got us the, uh, the football player Hall of Fame ornaments. And I, I have this very vivid memory of, of one of my little boys coming running into the kitchen when they had arrived in the mail uh, that December. And he had Joe Namath in one hand and he had Troy Aikman in the other. And he said, Dad, watch this. He goes, hot, bam, bam, bam. And they just shattered and all these pieces. And, uh, and my son started crying. He was inconsolable. And at first I thought he was crying because I was mad at him. Because I was. But I hid that well. And then I said, what's wrong, buddy? What's, you only had these for a few minutes. And he goes, but I loved them. And he learned an important lesson that day. That love hurts. If we may quote Nazareth. Love hurts. That, that, that to love something is to make yourself vulnerable. It's to, to let your heart kind of sneak out of your chest and to make yourself uh, vulnerable that if anything happens to or doesn't happen to this thing that I love, this person that I love, then I will be hurt along with it. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it well. He says it this way. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it, keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Uh, another poet, that was C.S. Lewis, another poet says it like this, you love her, but she loves him, and he loves somebody else, and you just can't win. And so it goes to the day you die, this thing they call love is going to make you cry. I've had the blues, the reds, and the pinks. One thing's for sure. Love stinks. That's Jay Giles. That's my style of, of uh, poetry. Uh, but it's true. It's true. And yet, with all that, the Bible calls us to love each other. Matter of fact, it compels us to love each other. It compels us to go into this, this surefire formula for pain. And he sets as the model for us Jesus, who was perfectly happy perfectly content, in heaven, with all of his needs being continually met, and took on the form of a man specifically so that he could suffer. Specifically so he could suffer under the law. So that he could be with us. And when we're united to him, two things happen. One, all of his suffering becomes ours. Right? And we get the credit for that. We get the credit of having our sins paid for in him. So great is his love for us. But also, all of our suffering becomes his. So that whatever we suffer, he experiences. And thirdly, since I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, what you suffer becomes mine. 
And we walk through that together. It's this beautiful truth that's, that's both painful and glorious. That to love is to suffer. And through that suffering, God is bringing us all to glory. Please stand as we read from Acts chapter, uh, chapter 9. It's a beautiful passage about Saul's um, conversion. Saul gets converted in this passage, and then he begins to go by the name Paul. And I'm just going to go in and tell you right now, throughout the sermon, I'm going to be flipping those back and forth because it's just a little more than my little mind can control. Um, but it's a, a powerful passage. We're going to be looking at it for three weeks uh, this week and then the next two to be pulling different things out. And uh, today we're going to look at this connection between suffering and ministry. Hear the word of the Lord. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And he said, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord? I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized. Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. To love anyone is to suffer, and to do ministry is to love people toward glory with all the suffering that entails. Uh, and that's, that is the, just the, the biblical standard. We can't separate ourselves from each other, but we enter into each other's suffering and pain and life, and we walk with each other. Now, you, you know the story, probably you've heard it a million times, but we have this man, Saul, who hates the church, and he is, he is a true believer in Yahweh. He's a true believer in God. He's not 
Uh, there's nothing kind of external and fake about him. He is as pure as, as, the, as the driven snow. He thinks that Christianity is a heresy, a terrible, awful heresy. This, this man they call God. There, can, there can't be a man who's God. There's only one God. He says that every morning. He prays the Psalms every morning. He knows the Bible. And so he's going to stamp out this heresy before it grows. And he's, he's going to do it by himself. That's how passionate he is. And he meets Jesus in the desert. And he gets body slammed. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Fascinating. That union with Christ, the union between Jesus and the church, so tight that anything is done to the church is done to him. Why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul says, who are you? And, and Jesus blinds him for a while. We'll talk about that next week. And, and sends him to uh, Damascus to wait for a man named Ananias. And then God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias. And Ananias is excited. He's waited for this moment his whole life. Here I am, Lord. I've got a calling for you. Yeah, I knew it. Right? You can just see you can get all excited. There's a man named Saul who's waiting on you. With all due respect, Lord. No. <laughs> I think you got the wrong guy. And he says, no, he's the right person. And I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. And I, I don't know why, I can't explain why on Monday when I read that, that little part, that, that, that little phrase of a verse, it just slapped me in the face. And I, and I started weeping. I was just, that, that is ministry. It is, it's not just ministry. I mean, depending on how you define ministry, I guess, but. That's what it means to love somebody. Whether it be a puppy or a parent or a brother or a sister or a child, to love them is to suffer when they suffer. Is to want to bring them to a better place, to bring out of them the best version of them, a version that they're not yet. It means to suffer. Uh, there's, there's different kinds of suffering. There's, there's just that empathetic, uh, when you suffer, I suffer. I, there's a, there's a uh, kind of a hallmark conversation that Bianca and I had years and years ago when she was first kind of, we were going from, you know, dating and being googly-eyed to actually loving each other, and, and she, she was shocked by it. She, she looked at me and she said, I don't understand, but when you feel bad, I feel bad. And that's, that's what love is about. When you, when you see somebody who feels bad, you feel bad with them. And it's fascinating that Jesus himself has that for us, right? Why are you persecuting me? When they suffer, I suffer. That's an important thing for you to understand about your relationship with Christ. I used to understand kind of Jesus' relationship with me to be like, when I'm going through something hard, it's like me bringing my kids to get their shots. You know, and I would hand them over to the nurse, and then I would stand like this, like, ugh, it looks like it hurts. And I was with them, but it was them, right? But now I understand so much better that Jesus is, is I am Christ in me. He is feeling it. He is sustaining us. And that's what we do for each other. That's why we, we walk in and we, 
we go into those dark places because when other people feel suffering, we feel it with them. And as we walk in, they feel it a little less, and we feel it a little more. So, uh, Friday, a uh, family associated with our church had a tragedy. Uh, Justin Donathan passed away, if you know him. And, uh, and so I went over to Scott's, a, a, an elder at Christ Pres. I went over to his house. And, you know, it's not something you look forward to. You don't wake up on Friday going, I hope I get to go into a house of mourning today. But, but it's beautiful and it's important Right, and we walk in, and we feel, we, we take on their pain. And they feel a little less. The Bible says we're, we cast our anxieties upon the body of the Christ, or we cast our anxieties upon the Lord. How do you think you do that? It's through the church. The church is the body of Christ. And we cast it upon each other. When you suffer, I suffer. We, we suffer, there's, there's suffering because of a satanic opposition. Paul talks about being stoned and beaten and shipwrecked. Satan doesn't want this message to go forward. Just like he, Satan did everything he could to get, keep Christ from the cross, so he keeps, does everything he can to keep us from, from, from reaching into each other's lives, from, from saying the, 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 the words of encouragement that we know we need to be said. To, to, he does everything he can to keep us from pointing people to Jesus. Everything he can to distract us. Everything he can to make you go, ah, we'll have that conversation next week. You know, you get your, you get your hopes up about seeing someone you haven't seen in a while and, and you want to talk to them. And you get there and you're like, ah, let's not ruin this good time. And sometimes you don't need to not ruin the good time, but sometimes you need to tell them about Jesus. Sometimes you need to encourage them. There's satanic opposition. There's, there's watching each other struggle with sin. Jesus suffered for our sin, and we, we look for each, at each other, and we see that, you know, you just love your, your children or your, your parents, and they're struggling with addiction or they're struggling with just bad decisions. And you want so badly just to, get inside that brain and fix it. And you can't. And so you, you suffer with them. Paul says, I, I fill up in my body that which is lacking of the sufferings of Christ. And that can be confusing. You can almost interpret it to say, you know, Jesus didn't suffer enough for our sins. He didn't save us. And we know that can't be it. Paul talks in several different places, in Galatians and Philippians and, and, and Thessalonians, about suffering for the people that he ministered to as if he were in childbirth. And that's, that's what we're talking about. That, not that I would know anything about childbirth. I'm not going to lie and say that I've birthed children. You probably could guess that I haven't. But it looks painful. I've seen it. There's an end, right? There's an end to it. It's not just hurting. It's hurting for a purpose. And the Apostle Paul describes ministry uh, in Galatians uh, 4, 18 and 19. He describes ministry as laboring in the pains of childbirth. He's trying to deliver these people so that they'll be righteous and holy and, and everything God intends for them to be. And that, that suffering continues as we struggle along with each other. And that's, that, that's what ministry is, and that's, uh, that's what loving people is. Those two things are the same. And they get exhausting. 
get exhausting. The, um, I got an email this week from Brian, a friend of mine who's in uh, prison. I've mentioned him from time to time. And I wrote him this year, uh, this week, and kind of a happy new year note. I said, I pray this new year will be filled with God's grace for you. I'm getting back into the pulpit Sunday and starting this year with a message on Saul's conversion. The verse that has sent me reeling is 916, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Wearing the name of Christ in a world that hates him and loving that world and hoping to see them come to the new way in Christ, that is the way of suffering. Paul's letters are filled with such contentment and joy, yet he had to learn those things through suffering. I'll be honest, Brian, I'm tired of suffering, and I know you are too. But this road is not over for either of us. Let's keep leaning on each other and walking down it together. I know the glory that awaits us at the end of the road will be incomparable to the things we suffer. So let's remind each other of that glory as we walk. It is exhausting. It wouldn't be suffering if it wasn't, right? I uh, I love the way the uh, old King James translates the word patience. Um especially when he's talking about the church and life in the church. doesn't use the word patience. He uses the words long-suffering. That's a pretty easy word to exegete. You're going to suffer? Long. That's patience. It does get tiring. So how does Paul continue? What do we see about him that enables him to continue to suffer with the church for so long? And the first thing we see is that he is empowered by grace. He is united with Christ. His suffering is Christ's sufferings. Christ's sufferings are his suffering. And, and, and he, what he is doing, he is doing in Christ. He said, he said, I long to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That, that fellowship of, of what he has done for me, it's so overwhelming that that he wants to drink from it. And as he drinks from that fountain of, of God's grace for him, it comes out of him. He says, the love of Christ compels us. Isn't that a great passage? The love of Christ compels us. You know, um, I, uh, I went to college in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic. It was very weird so we were afraid to touch each other. We just didn't know yet how they got passed on from person to person. And there's all these kind of rumors, you know. And, uh, you know, if you, can you get it from mosquitoes? Can you get it from toilet seats? Can you get it? We just didn't know. It was a very weird, strange time. And, um, and then not long after that uh, time, my, my mother-in-law got sick with hepatitis C and, and eventually passed away. But it was interesting. There wasn't a lot of conversation about fear. You know, we weren't worried about, can we get it from her tears? Is it safe to hug her? Is it safe to, you know, feed her or eat with her? Because we loved her. And love casts away fear. And love causes you to to rush in where someone that you love is hurting. And that's what we're seeing the the Apostle Paul do. He's saying, my love compels me. I care about these people. Yeah, if I go to Philippi, am I going to get stoned? Am I going to get shipwrecked? Am I going to get beaten? Probably. But somebody's got to go. I love them. 
where does he get that? Because he was loved, because he, he receives Jesus' love, and he, he prays for us. He says, I want you to, to have your, your spirit strengthened so that you're going to be able to, to comprehend, to understand the depth and the height and the width and the breadth of God's love for you. If you, if you can just comprehend that, then I won't have to convince you to love each other because you're going to be so overflowing with it that you can't help but love each other. And that's, that's what he knows. That's what he experiences. That's what, why we open the worship service with this great passage from 1 Timothy. I would encourage you to go back and read the whole thing because he starts out talking about how he's the worst. He persecuted the church. He wanted to, to eradicate Christianity. And, but God showed grace to him. And he says, so this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. That Jesus Christ died to save sinners of whom I am the chief. I'm the, I, I'm the worst. He was, he was never stopped being overwhelmed by that. And that sent him into other people's suffering. He was empowered by grace. And ultimately, he was sustained by the resurrection. We're told, he, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, this, this one passage is brought up, this one event is brought up two more times in the book of Acts. Uh, it's a great example of how to use your testimony, actually. And he, um, he says he saw Jesus. Now, some of you have seen Jesus. I've seen Jesus. Uh, usually what we mean when we say we've seen Jesus is we had a daydream, right? And he kind of looked like us. <laughs> but, you know, it was a daydream. If you're Presbyterian, you call it a daydream. If you're Pentecostal, you call it a vision. I don't care what you call it. But... Um, I want you to understand, it's very important you get this, that's not what Paul had. What Paul had here was not a daydream. The resurrected Jesus, he says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrected Jesus bodily appeared to him. He saw him. He talked to him. And, that, and he was surrounded by the light of the, the, the glory of God. He, he got a peek into the heaven that is there right now. It's right here all around us. It's not a bazillion miles away, but it is right here, and we just can't see it because we're blind. And he got to peek into it, and that he never lost that vision. And that gave him this, this anchor that said, there's another life. This, is, this life is not all there is. And, and he would describe, go on to describe the suffering that we experience in this life to say, it's not even comparable to the glory that awaits for us. It's not even comparable. It's a completely different, it's a completely different variety of thing. It's a completely different quality of life. It's the difference between a dream and reality. And he says, one day we're going to wake up in the reality and when you wake up in the reality, the, the dream becomes weird. and You're kind of trying to remember if it really happened or not. And it fades away because it, it just categorically is not as real. And he's already living as if the life we now live is a dream. I, uh, I've told you all a few times about my, my recurrent nightmares. I've got two, they take on a million different forms, but it's two basic nightmares. One is, I'm in a classroom taking a final exam, and it's calculus. 
And I haven't done calculus in a very long time. And I barely did calculus then. And I'm looking at this sheet, and my entire future depends upon it, right? And I'm like, it's not even numbers. It's letters. And it's not even English letters. It's Greek letters. I have no idea. And I'm panicking because my entire world is about to come falling down. Or I dream that I'm in some public place without my pants. And, uh, and so I got those two nightmares going. Pretty much once a week I'll have one of those two at least. And I've had, it used to be that those dreams gave me so much anxiety that I would, I promise it's true, I would get up in the middle of the night, go find my college diploma, and stare at it. Like, I graduated. <sighs> go to sleep. You're okay. You know, I'm wearing pants. Go to sleep. You're not in the grocery store. Um, but I've had them so many times now. This is actually true. This is a little bit weird, but I've had those dreams so many times now that in the dream, while I'm still asleep, I'll say to myself, I would never come to the store without pants. This isn't real. Or I don't do calculus anymore. This isn't real. I need to wake up because that's the only way I'm going to get out of this exam room if I wake up and go to the restroom and get a glass of water or whatever, come back to bed because this isn't real. And the, the Apostle Paul is, is entreating us. Like in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us this is real. The resurrection is real. Your resurrection, your bodily resurrection, when you're going to be raised up from the dead, glorious and beautiful forever and ever, that's real. Start living now as though this life is just a dream. It's not comparable. It's not as real. And the more we understand that, the more able we are to enter into each other's suffering because it's just temporary. It's light. He, he calls it this light and, and uh, quickly passing suffering. I can't think of the exact word in 1 Corinthians. Um, it's light suffering. It's just short. It's not going to last long. But, it, but even that, every bit of it is, is preparing us for the glory that is yet to be revealed in us. That's what's real. That's ministry. It's weird. It's weird to start here. It seems like I'm burying the lead, I know. But that, that, those few words just really stuck out to me, and I wanted to share that with you. That is what our ministry with each other looks like, entering into each other's suffering. Not running away, but running toward. Suffering with and for and beside each other. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did not uh, avoid our suffering, but you ran toward it. You ran toward us. And you healed us through your stripes, through your wounds, through your pain. You made us your own. And even now, you, you use the, our, our suffering to make us into your image. Would you help us remember that? It's hard. Especially when things linger. And we get tired and we just want to quit. Would you help us to remember that you are using 
using that suffering, Lord, because your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Your grace is so visible in our weakness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.